All right. Good evening, everybody. <sighs> well, <clears throat> you want to know what my problem is that I have with Aaron DeMerchant? Good answer. Good answer, Linda. What did you say? Said, Wait. What is it? Yeah, you said, what is it? <clears throat> Wrong answer. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad somebody said no. But just go with me here. All right, this is this is a this is a living object lesson. All right, so let's just say that you let me continue on with my little spiel here. Linda did the right thing. She said, "No, I don't want to hear it." Because because what's the problem with that? Right, Aaron is not here. He's not here to answer for himself, or he's not here to defend himself. So this would be the this was my spiel, and I got I got a lesson in it. So you want to know. You want to know the problem I have with Aaron DeMerchant? Well, just between you and I, he never answers any of my texts and calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see that happens to you too, right? Yeah. So you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. He must think he's some kind of big shot. I mean, he probably hates me and ignores my, my calls and my texts on purpose. Plus, he, he preaches too long. He's too long-winded. The guy just doesn't know when to shut up. And, and when he preaches, he's too harsh. He's too blunt, and he hurts my little bitty feelings. Okay, so we're gonna we're going to we're gonna backtrack, and I'm gonna tell you everything that's wrong with that scenario. Linda did the right thing when I said, "You want to know the problem I have with Aaron DeBurchett?" And she said, "No." That was the right answer. Everybody should have chimed in and said no. And then Wade did what most other people did. Oh, really? What is it? That's that's the typical because we yeah we want to hear the juicy gossip. So uh, that was the right answer. Linda gave the right answer. So he never answers my texts and calls. When you say never, that's a wrong kind of statement. That's, that's, that's the word that most couples use when they're fighting. You never or you always. That's an exaggeration. That's a lie because they never, never do anything and they don't always, always do something. Right? That's just an exaggeration. Those are inflammatory words that you use in an argument to get the other person going. So he never answers my text or call. Well, that's just not true. That's just a flat out lie. Um, oh, he thinks he must think he's some kind of big shot. Okay, prove it. Well, he is pretty big. Yeah, well, he is a big guy. But he must think he's a big shot. How do I know that? I'm making an assumption on my part of what he thinks and feels in his heart and mind. I can't prove or validate my statement against him. It's impossible because I don't know his heart and mind. He probably thinks that he's a big shot. Well, that's it. That's an assumption. And then he probably hates me and he's ignoring my calls and my texts on purpose. That's another assumption. I'm reading into something that's happening and I'm assuming what I'm thinking about that situation is accurate and true, but I have no proof or evidence to back any of that up. None of it. Yeah, he could be. Yeah, there's a lot of explanations why he's not returning my text or calls. He's too busy. Maybe his battery died. Maybe his phone died. Maybe he's on a long distance conference call with another minister. Maybe, maybe he left his phone somewhere else. What? Maybe he's thinking about what you wrote and it takes some consideration. Right. That's a good one, too. Maybe he's he read my text and he's just prayerfully considering what I wrote and how to respond to me. So for me to say, oh, he probably hates me because he's ignoring my calls and my texts on purpose. What? 
I could be totally wrong about that. There's a hundred other other explanations. Plus, when I say plus, he's too long-winded when he preaches. Well, that's kind of a, a running gag or joke. Everybody talks about, you know, makes a joke how Aaron preaches long. Everybody knows he pre preaches long, and they don't mind it. So the problem lies with me if I'm saying something like, he preaches too long. Well, what's long? Who's, who's, whose problem is it? Is it Aaron's problem for preaching too long or my problem? Because you're in a rush. Yeah, because I'm in a rush, because I think what he's saying is not important. It's my problem. So that's what's wrong with that statement. He doesn't know when to shut up. Well, there I'm kind of judging his discernment with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will tell him to shut up. Because when I'm preaching, I clearly know when it's time for me to shut up. And if I don't shut up and I just keep going, then the Lord's going to give me a spiritual whooping because I'm not obeying him. And then it's going to ruin the service. And then I say, oh, he's too harsh. He's too blunt. If he's preaching the word of God, he's not too harsh. He's not too blunt. The problem lies with my attitude and my feelings by what he's saying based on the word of God. Right? So I'm glad that Linda said that, said, no, I don't want to hear that. So tonight I may sound like a broken record to some of you. But it reminds me of the story of a preacher who preached the same sermon every Sunday for like a month. I mean, every Sunday he got behind the pulpit, turn in your Bibles to John 3.16, and then he preached a sermon on John 3.16. And then the next Sunday, the same thing, over and over and over. Finally, somebody got the nerve to say, what's your problem? Like, why are you preaching the same sermon every single Sunday? He says, I'm preaching the same sermon every single Sunday because you're not getting it. You're not getting it. You're not remembering it. You're not getting it. You're not living it. And there's another story about a preacher who preached a sermon and then locked the church doors. So he preached a sermon. Come next Sunday, they all come and find the doors locked. I'm like, what, what the heck? What, what's this all about? They're banging on the door. Open up. Let us in. It's time for church. Why aren't you why aren't you opening up and letting it in letting us in? Well, because you you're you're not doing what I told you to do in last week's sermon. And until you do what you're supposed to do with last week's sermon, I'm not going to open up the church doors. I mean, my goodness, what what if that happened today? What if you had a minister that preached the same what if I preached the same sermon over and over and over again? You probably would stop coming at some point. Well, I've heard it before. We can hear the same thing over and over again, but if, it, if, if, if there's one thing in hearing it, and then there's another thing in understanding it, and then there's another thing in applying it. I can hear it, I can understand it, but if I'm not applying it, then the sermon is pointless, it's useless. So there you go on that end. And then the story about the preacher who locks the doors because they're not following through with the sermon, right? They're not living the sermon out. So a lot of times you'll have preachers will preach something one Sunday and then they get behind the pulpit. So what did I preach last Sunday? Uh, uh, most people, the majority of people can't tell you what you preached last, last week. So how powerful or how applicable or how impactful was that message? I can guarantee you it's probably not the preacher's fault. If the preacher is in connection with the Holy Spirit, he's preaching the truth from the word, then it's not the preacher's fault. It's the listener's fault. So are we seeing some contrast and seeing some differences here? So tonight you may think that I'm just preaching the same thing over and over again. And the only reason I am is because you guys aren't getting it. 
and I'm not trying to throw you under the bus or blame you or or run you down because this is not just a problem with you guys. This is a problem with the entire body of Christ. This is a problem in virtually every single church or congregation or ministry group out there because it's the devil's number one way to tear down a congregation. It's the devil's number one way to tear down a ministry, bar none. And if we as believers can grasp this and get a hold of this, we will win the vast majority of spiritual battles that the enemy comes up against us with. Because right now, it's at a point where we're being attacked from the outside, but it's not working. We're not listening to the rumors. We're not listening to the inflammatory statements. We're not listening to, you know, the, the uh, uh, things that try to get us riled up, people pushing our buttons, uh, all this slander against us, all the gossip, all the rumors. We're not, it, it's not working. The attacks from the outside aren't working. So the enemy is switching his tactics, and he's saying, I'm going to attack from the inside out. That always works. That always works. So I'm going to go with what I know works. So really, he's, it's, we're not concerned with what's happening on the outside. We're concerned with what's happening on the inside. So I'll be a broken record if I must. 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us that we are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. So everybody knows I love MMA. And what's great about champions? I don't like champions who have an undefeated record. I don't respect champions who have an undefeated record because that tells me that they haven't been proven. They've got to have a mistake. They've got to have a flaw. They've got to have a weak spot somewhere. And once somebody defeats them, what does the champion, the former champion do once they've been beat? They'll go back and review that fight over and over and over and over again until they crack the code of why they lost that match. They're going to find out what their weakness is, and then they're going to go back into the gym and work on it relentlessly, tirelessly, until they have it down pat. So I respect a champion who's been defeated a couple times because that shows me he's improving. It shows me that he has something to work on. I'm a little suspicious of undefeated champions. I'm thinking, well, maybe the person got paid off or something like that. I don't know. But 2 Corinthians 2.11 says we are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, meaning we are to study the enemy's tactics, study how he attacks us, study how he tempts us. We, we can go back in our own life when we've fallen for temptations or we've sinned and we're like, okay, where did I go wrong? Most likely the battle uh, was, was, was won or lost against you rather in your heart or in your mind. Not necessarily something that kind of manifested itself on the outside. That's, that's like way, way, way down the road because it always starts in the heart and the mind. And if you can't defeat it in the heart and the mind, it'll eventually manifest itself in this physical world. You know, I can sit and, man, think about this hot, sexy woman all I want. I can undress her over and over and over in my mind. I can lust after her. I can fantasize about being intimate with her. And then if I don't control that, if I don't put a stop to that, if I don't win the battle there in my heart and my mind, it's only a matter of time because I've let that thing go on so far that it's not enough to think about it and fantasize anymore. I want to physically carry it and act it out. So I either hire a prostitute or I rape somebody. And that's what happens. And then you've, you've really lost the battle if you've gone that far. 
If something that you're battling with inside has physically manifested on the outside, the battle's gone too far. You've lost the battle long, long time ago. But that doesn't mean that you can't be forgiven and you can't regain the ground. So a lot of times what we have to do is we have to reprogram our minds, reprogram our thinking because we get stuck in habits of the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act, and we get in a rut. And it's like a knee-jerk reaction. I go to the doctor, he takes out that, out that little rubber hammer, and he taps my knee. Well, my knee's going to jerk. It's a knee-jerk reaction, right? It's automatic. I can't stop it. And a lot of times, we think, feel, and act in the same way that our knee reacts to the, uh, uh, the uh, percussion hammer at the doctor's office. And we've got to retrain ourselves to react in different ways. So 2 Corinthians 11.14 says that Satan himself, not to be surprised because Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light. So Satan's really good at looking good and coming across good. He's really, really good of mimicking and imitating the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of God. So much so, people are fooled all the time. So Satan can transform himself into an angel of light to make it seem that what we're doing by gossiping is right and just. We have a justification to say what we say. We have a justification and a right to tell whoever we want to about it. We can justify it because we've got a spiritual reason behind it, right? I'm not gossiping. I'm just trying to get a grasp on this person on this person. I'm trying to get a grasp on this situation, and I need somebody as a sounding board to help me out with this situation that I have with somebody else. Bullcrap. Bullcrap, that is a lie from the, from the devil who transforms himself into an angel of light. You don't need to talk to somebody else about somebody else in order to get a grip on the situation so you can know how to handle it. That's still gossiping. Your problem is with that individual, and the Bible says to go to that individual. Don't go to somebody else so you can understand the situation better and approach it in a better way. That's a lie from the devil, but it sounds good, don't it? Oh, I trust this person and they're not going to tell anybody that I have a problem with this other person. And they're really smart and they're spiritual and they've been a believer for a long time. So maybe they can help me out in dealing with this person. You're not following biblical protocol. You're not doing what the Bible says. You're not doing what God says. That is just a lame duck excuse to gossip. And that's what it is. You may want to justify it as, oh, I'm helping or I'm getting a better grasp on the situation. Uh, no, 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 no. That's not what does the Bible say? Ultimately, the Bible is our final authority. It's not what we think or what we think works or, you know, what modern psychology says. It's what does the Bible say? So nowhere in the Bible does it say to talk about others to someone else so as to try to understand and get a grip on the conflict between you and the one you're talking about. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that it's okay to talk about others um, if it's worded in the form of a prayer request. You know, that's another way we gossip, but we excuse it because it's spiritual. Oh, no, 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 I'm not gossiping. I care about this person. So I'm bringing this person's private issues in front of the body of Christ so we can pray about them. Haven't you ever heard of an unspoken prayer request? Might be a smarter way to deal with that. Because God knows, you know, it's not like you say, well, Lord, I'm bringing to you an unspoken prayer request, and I wish I knew what it was so I could tell you what it was so you know what to do about it. God's God. He knows everything. So don't go airing somebody else's dirty laundry if you know that they have an issue or a problem that they're dealing with. 
because that issue or problem can be very embarrassing. And if it gets out, even in the form of a prayer request, it could really ruin somebody's life. So mark that as an unspoken prayer request. So talking about others and your problem with them when the one being spoken about isn't present for them to answer for themselves or to defend themselves is gossip and slander. Bottom line, there's no justifying it, period. So when I opened up this, this message, you want to know the problem I have with Aaron DeMerchant? Linda did the right thing. She said no. She said no. Because, you know, that's another issue. I'm here talking about Aaron, but where's Aaron? He's not present to answer for himself or to defend himself against the things that I just landed against him. He can't defend himself when I said, he never answers my texts or calls. He must think he's a big shot. He probably hates me and ignores all my calls on purpose. He's not here to answer to those accusations. He's not here to defend the himself. I have no business saying anything like that, even if I think or feel that way. I need to shut up and keep it to myself and bring it to who? Can I bring it to you, Wade? No. Uh, who, who do I bring it to? Yeah. Hey, that's right. Because that's who I got a problem with, right? It's not a problem with you. You're, you, you don't have a dog in this fight. Because if I start talking that way about Aaron, you may start thinking bad about Aaron. Well, yeah, I've noticed that too. He doesn't answer my texture calls. Yeah, come to think of it, you know, I'm getting pretty hungry by the end of his sermons on Sunday and I want to go to McDonald's or something. Yeah, he does preach too long. And I could sway your opinion or change how you feel about him because of my problem with him, which is none of your guys' business. So that's that would be just flat out wrong of me. So my problem was is with Aaron and I have no business bringing it to you. So if I do in any way, shape or form, it's gossip. No justifying it, bottom line, period. He's not here to answer for himself or to defend himself. So here's a good rule of thumb. Don't say anything about a person to another that you wouldn't say to their face. We can get pretty bold, you know, especially online when there's the computer screen in front of us and there's not a real person and especially a real person with a balled up fist that can punch us in the face if we say something about them, right? I mean, that, that would be great. I mean, if you could reach through the computer and punch somebody in the face when they say something, maybe people would say less about people, right? I'm not condoning violence, but you get my drift. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes we can get emboldened when a person isn't here and we're all talking all big and bad and grandiose and saying a lot of things that if that person was right there, we wouldn't say it. We'd be too chicken to say it. We'd be too scared to say it. So don't say anything about a person to, uh, to another that you wouldn't say in front of their face. So talking about someone you have a problem with is number one, betraying a trust. Number two, it's lying by ignorance because you don't know how that person feels. You don't know what's in that person's heart that you're speaking about because you don't know the whole story. Number three, it's equivalent to murder because you're, you're shedding, you're not shedding love. You're shedding some hate. And Jesus says, if you hate somebody in your heart, it's equivalent to murder. And the Judaism has an explanation for that. Well, how does that equivalent to murder? When you murder somebody, most likely, unless it's poisoning, most likely you shed blood when you murder. When you shoot somebody, when you stab somebody, whatever, there's blood that's shed, and shedding of blood represents death. It represents the life force being drained out of you and you eventually bleed out and die. So when you talk about somebody, you either embarrass them or you anger them. And either way, their blood pressure is going to rise. 
And a lot of times they will blush because they're embarrassed. And what is blushing? Blushing is when blood rises to the surface of the skin. It's a form of shedding blood. When somebody gets mad, you know, they get red in the face and they get hot under the collar and they're huffing and puffing because blood is being rushed to the surface of the face and it's a form of shedding blood and that's why it's equivalent to murder. Not only that, that's on the physical side. On the spiritual side, have you ever heard of character assassination? It means you're killing someone's character. You're, you're, it's character assassination, so it is a form of murder. So, um, Matthew, like I, like I just said, Matthew 5.22, if you hate somebody in your heart, it's like you've murdered them. So, um, how, how are we to respond when somebody starts talking about someone else who's not present? Now, what we have to do is we have to train our, ourselves to do this. And it's hard because most likely when somebody's speaking, First of all, we think, oh, they're speaking. I should be silent because I'm being courteous and being respectful because they have the floor. So a lot of times we don't interrupt because we think we're being polite. But then they start talking about somebody and then we start feeling uncomfortable. We're like, oh, what do I do? And we just let it go and people are starting to gossip. A story is being told about somebody and the person's not there to answer for themselves or defend themselves. And we just let it go because we're too scared or too embarrassed to speak out and say something. And we need to ask God to put like a spiritual check engine light where alarm bells and whistles and lights go off in our head saying, OK, do something about this now. Right. So whenever you see a check engine light, if you really care about your vehicle, you're going to like, oh, something's wrong. I'm going to take it into the mechanic and have him get hooked up to the diagnostic and see what's going on. Because it's just a little engine light. You don't know what it is. It may be something as, 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 as meaningless as an EVAP code, which basically means you didn't tighten your gas cap on tight enough and air's getting into the gas tank. And so the sensor went off. So it's not a big deal. It's not your car's going to break down. But then maybe the engine light comes on and maybe it's something that's a real big deal. That if you don't get it fixed, it's going to irreparably wreck your car. So we need to pray that God puts a check engine light in our head. So it's like somebody who's trying to stop, to stop swearing or stop cussing. I've seen people wear rubber bands. And every time they say a swear word, it's like, oh, and they'll just snap that rubber band. Because every time that painful snap of the rubber band will remind them of the consequences of swearing. And then somebody will be about ready to say a cuss word and they remember, <laughs> no, I always snap my wrist with that rubber band when I say something bad. So I'm not going to say it this time. And you start slowly training yourself not to cuss. We need to do something similar when we're in community together. We're all brothers and sisters. We all love each other and we all care about each other. We want to be respectful and courteous when somebody else is speaking or talking. But we need to train ourselves to respond when gossip and slander starts taking place. So number one, when somebody starts talking about somebody else who's not present to defend themselves or answer for themselves, just politely put your hand up and say, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not going to talk about brother or sister so-and-so when they're not here to answer for themselves or to defend themselves. And if they tried it again, they're like, well, no, 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 no. Like I said, we're not, no, we're not going to talk about them. Okay, let's, let's change the subject. So you just put a stop to it and it may, they may take it as, as you being rude, but you're doing the right thing. It doesn't matter what the person thinks. What they're doing is wrong. You putting a stop to it is right. Are we clear on that? Okay, number two, what if someone starts airing a problem that they have with somebody else that's not present? It's the same thing, it's the same thing but here's another way you can approach it. You can stop, you can stop and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you talking to me about it? 
And all of a sudden they'll be like, whoa, whoa I just want to, no, 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 no. Why are you talking to me about this person? Number one, they're not present. Sounds like you need to go to them. Sounds like that's a pretty ballsy to say. And a lot of people might get offended thinking you're being a smart aleck or being too harsh, but you're doing the right thing. So if you don't say stop, we're not going to talk about brother, sister, or brother or sister so-and-so because they're not here to defend themselves or answer for themselves. You can also say, why are you talking to me about it? Why are you talking to me about this person? Jesus said, go directly in private to that person and have a conversation with them. So there's something, and I know I'm even getting tired of reading this because I've read it so long. If there's anything I've preached over and over and over, it's this. If there's anything that I've preached more than any other subject, it's about gossip or slander or whatever. So Matthew 18, memorize that citation, Matthew 18. You don't have to know the verses if you know the chapter, Matthew 18. You can go to it and find it pretty easy. And it's pretty simple. It's a real simple protocol. It's not complicated. So Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 15, it says, moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, trespass is a violation. You're violating somebody else's rights. You're violating somebody else's feelings. You're violating them in some way, right? Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Bible doesn't say to talk it over with another spiritual mature believer so you can get a grip and a handle on the situation to understand it better, to know how better to approach the situation when you do talk to that person. Nowhere in scripture does it say that. Jesus is clear. He's not mincing words. He's, you know, there, there's no mistaking this or interpreting it another way. Moreover, if your brother or sister, we, we can say, shall trespass against you, go to them, go to him, his fault between you and him alone. So you're to take that person in private. See, another temptation is to go to them. Well, I'm doing what the Bible says, but you're in front of everybody else. You're not doing what the Bible says. If you're approaching that person in a public forum, you know, let's say we're all here at Harvest House, people are playing pool, people are playing bridge or whatever, or, you know, and somebody says, hey, I got a beef with you. What you said the other day, da da da, and everybody turns their head like, oh, what's this? That's gossip. That's slander. You're not doing what the Bible says. It says go in private. Go to that person while everybody's doing something else and say, hey, can we step outside or can we go to Aaron's office or can we go somewhere private? I want to talk to you about something. And nobody else has to hear it. Nobody else has to know about it. That's what the Bible says to do. It says to uh, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he shall hear you, meaning that he understands what you're saying, he agrees with what you're saying, you guys reconcile, you get things straightened out. Then it says, you have gained your brother. You've restored the relationship. Half the time when you approach somebody, they have no idea that you have something against them. The majority of the time, they have no idea you feel the way you feel about them. They don't know. You may think they know. You may think it's obvious. Oh, of course they know. How can they not know? Because it's all in your head. So it says, you've gained a brother. Well, what if that doesn't work? Well, Jesus has an answer for that too. But if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more. Now, let me clarify this. We all have, we all have people that we're closer to, right? So it would be tempting to take your best bros who's always got your back because they're kind of partial and kind of biased to you. 
It may be hard for them to be impartial, even though they're a brother and sister in Christ. So I suggest to you, don't take somebody that you're close to. If you have that temptation or you think that they're going to be biased in any way and kind of be on your side because you're bros, take two people that don't have a dog in the fight. Two people that are impartial, that can be impartial judges because what they're there for, they're not there to be on your team or their team. They're there just to listen and to witness what's being said. It's like turning your phone on to record. That's basically all it is. And the reason being is so that when later, if that person that you have a beef with decides to talk to somebody else about it, there's no he said or she said going on. And there's no way to prove that he said, she said. Because if you have two, at least one or two witnesses there, then somebody could say, no, 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 that's not the way it was. No, 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 that's not the way it went down. No, 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 they didn't say that. It's for accountability purposes, not for, oh, team so-and-so and and team so-and-so purpose. No. So it says in verse 16, but if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. That's Torah. That's law. That's in Deuteronomy. That's what Moses tells us to do. By two or three witnesses, let everything be established. And Jesus is reiterating that, which means the law has not been done away with. We still go by what Moses said in our daily interactions with each other. Jesus said so. All right. So we move on. Then it says, and if he shall neglect to hear them. No, no. Then go to your leaders. Tell your leaders. That's right. Tell your leaders. It's a little bit tricky in a lot of translations because the way it reads in English, it makes you think that you, you, you have the right to tell anybody and everybody. Okay, I'm just going to put it out in the open. You drew, you drove me to this. No, no, no. That's not what it means. If he shall neglect to hear them, then tell it to the church. See, it makes it sound like you're just stand up in front of church. Anybody got a testimony this morning? You want to praise the Lord for something? Yeah, brother, I got something to say. Well, the other day I was talking to so-and-so in private and he didn't hear me. So I took two other people with me and he still didn't hear me. So I'm doing what the Bible says. I'm going to tell you what he said because he's not listening to us. That's not what it means. When it says take it to the church, the implication is take it to the leadership. Because back in the day, when you had an issue, you settled it with the leaders of the church. It was called a Beit Deen, which in Hebrew means a house of judgment, which means the leaders sat down and heard the case and they made the final decision because you guys couldn't come to a decision on your own. And whatever they said, you stuck with it. Because the Bible also says we're not to take our petty little arguments to the secular courts. It's a bad witness. So then it says, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church, implying the leadership. But if he neglects to hear the church, meaning the authority of the church, the the, the leaders, let him be to you as a heathen man and a publican. Doesn't mean that you turn your nose at him. Doesn't mean that you give him dirty looks doesn't mean that you, you know, give him the finger or cuss him out or tell him that he's a dirty dog. It just means you don't, you don't hang out with him. That's all it means. I mean, you treat total strangers sometimes better than you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, it's true. We do. So we're just to treat them just like a Joe Schmo on the street that we don't know. We're nice. We're cordially. You know, we're civil. But we don't have any relationship. It's not, let's go hang out for coffee. You know, let's go grab a bite to eat. Now, you just don't have anything to do with them. That's all that that means. But you should always keep, like, even an open thing that maybe they could down the road. 
Right. You, you, yeah. If they are, if they come back to you genuinely repent and say, Hey, listen, I know a couple months ago, you know, we just had a great falling out and I know we haven't talked since, but I've been thinking about it and praying and feeling really convicted and I'm really getting what you're saying. And man, I was wrong. Uh, please forgive me. Then you can restore the relationship. Then it goes back to the first part of the Matthew 18 protocol. That person is now coming to you in private to work it out. When you tried to do it before, maybe they may come back and work it. So yeah, Dave, you're right. Leave an open door. Don't just totally cut them off. But if they come back truly sorry and repentant, fine. So if you know someone is talking about you to others, don't say, huh, well, it's not my job to go to them because Matthew 18 says so. I mean, because you're tempted to do that because it says, Oh, if you have a fault with your brother, you're the one you're supposed to go with to them. Doesn't say that if your brother has a fault with you, oh, okay, so I'm free and clear. So it's their fault. It's their problem. No, 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 no. Because now let's go to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 talks about the other side of that coin. Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 25. And when you stand praying, so... In Judaism, there's what's called the Amidah prayer. The Amidah means the standing prayer. It's the prayer that we Jews recite three times a day, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. It's an act of worship. It's our way of commemorating the uh, sacrifices that were in the temple, which no longer are you know exist because the temple's been torn down so it's just a memorial of that and it's a form and act of worship of the jewish people so but for christians basically anytime you pray you can apply it to anytime you pray or worship the lord so it says when you stand praying and these are red letter words these are what yeshua jesus said when you stand praying forgive if you have anything uh, against any for your father also which is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses but if you do not forgive, neither will your father, which is in heaven, forgive you of her trespasses. Right? So if, if someone you know is talking about you, don't say, well, it's their job to come to me. So if you know about it, Mark 11 kind of suggests that you go to them. <coughs> so basically, it's, it doesn't matter who said what. It doesn't matter who's in the wrong or who's spreading the gossip. If you know about it, deal with it and take care of it. Don't say it's that person's responsibility or it's their fault or it's not my job to go. Because there's another passage that's likened unto this where it says, if you are about to sacrifice at the altar and you know that somebody has something against you, leave it there. Or you have something against your brother, leave it there and go reconcile with your brother. Because you know what? The Lord's not going to accept your worship if you have hate in your heart to somebody else. You're trying to love me and hate somebody at the same time? Uh-uh. That doesn't jive. The Lord's not going to accept your worship. So if they won't come to you, you go to them. Maybe they are the ones who have the problem and you just happen to hear about it from somebody else. Don't say, well, I'm Matthew 18 protocol. I'm going to wait until they come and approach me because you know what? They may, may never will. So Mark 11 makes it your job to go to them if you know that they have something against you. So it works both ways, right? So now there's no excuse at all. It's not, it's their job. It's not my responsibility. Uh-uh, none of that works. So if they won't come to you, you go to them. Some of you may actually be the linchpin or the domino that will set off a chain reaction of forgiveness and reconciliation. 
and all this strife and all this gossiping and all this awkwardness between people may just end if you take the initiative, no matter who said what or who did what or whose fault it was, if you go and work it out. You be the one. You be the bigger person and work it out. So what if it doesn't happen that way? What if you go to the person, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's really Matthew 18, they should come to you, but you know of something and you go to them and let's say you go to them and it doesn't work out. Well, it's not on you. At least you did your obligatory part. Now the ball's in their court. As long as you've done everything that you can do to settle the issue, to make peace, to reconcile the relationship, and to forgive, you can still forgive somebody in your heart and still not make it right with that person because they won't let you. Right. You've planted a seed. They'll be thinking about it. The ball's in their court. Now it's their decision. As long as, you, as you've done your obligatory part and everything that you can do. So why? Why all this protocol and procedures? The answer is because of assumptions. Now, the English word assume, when we assume, it makes an ass out of you and me. That's how you spell assume, A-S-S-U-M-E. Assuming makes an ass out of you and me. So the battle is in our minds. Basically, what it boils down to is what, how we think, feel, and act because that really determines the condition of our heart. So let me give you two examples from the scripture, from the same person, from Peter. So in uh, Matthew chapter 16. Now, some of you may be wondering, well, why are you preaching on this same thing? Well, because I felt the Lord lead me this way. And as the Lord was leading me this way, there was confirmation Besides the Lord telling me, I've had several people come to me recently and say, man, what's all this like? Why is everybody against everybody? And why is, you know, why is people not getting along? And why is everybody talking about everybody? And, you know, I was like, wow, I didn't realize it was that bad because it comes from more than one source. And I'm like, OK, Lord, that's clear that you want to deal with this. And we seem to deal with this like every other month. And that's just our human nature because we want to go to that default, oh, tell me the juicy details, or that default, oh, I shouldn't interrupt because it's rude. But we need to really get it in our head to stop gossip in its tracks. As soon as somebody starts talking about somebody that's not there, just either one of two things, stop because that person's not here to answer for themselves or to defend themselves, so we're not going to talk about brother so-and-so, or, and or, because you could do both or one or the other, say, it sounds like, the problem's with them, so why are you telling me about it? The Bible says go to that person. I don't want to hear about it. It's none of my business. Your problem is with so-and-so, you go to so-and-so. Turn around walking away from it also, Bible. If they just simply won't, you know, get off that horse. Maybe that maybe you can't shut them up. Maybe that they won't, and you just, just simply walk away. And just tell everybody, come on, guys, let's go. We're not going to listen to this anymore. I mean, but that's an extreme case. Usually, if you do those things, usually it'll stop. It'll stop the situation. So in Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 15, this is Jesus talking. It says, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. In other words, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, 
but my Father which is in heaven. So in this instance, the Holy Spirit just downloaded and dropped a revelation into Peter's heart and mind. It was divinely told to him and revealed to him that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He had his heart and his mind in tune and aligned with the Holy Spirit, open up to the voice of God, and boom, God spoke, he got it, and he said, yeah, you're, you're, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So we can get revelatory downloads from God. We can hear from the Lord. And how do we know that what Peter said was true besides Jesus saying, yeah, you're right? Go back to the Old Testament and look at the prophecies. See if what Peter, if what Peter said lines up with prophecies. Obviously it did because Jesus said it did. So that's one instance. Okay, that's the, that's the best case scenario. So secondly, and this is Peter. At one point, he's hearing from the word of God. He's hearing from God himself. And the next point, he's getting a thought from the devil. He's the same person. And this probably just, this probably didn't, uh, probably happen not too far apart from each other, these two events. So on the one hand, he's saying, yes, you are the son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And then here in the same chapter, verse 16 and verse 21, it says, from that time forth, Jesus, uh, from that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again on the third day. Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Could you imagine rebuking Jesus? Rebuking the Messiah himself? I rebuke you. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him saying, be it far from you, Lord, this shall not be to you. I think Peter had well intentions, but Peter was thinking with the mind of men and not with the mind of God because Peter understood prophecy. He knew that there was going to come a, a kingly Messiah that was going to uh, destroy the ruling power over the Jewish people. And they were waiting for that because they were currently under Roman occupation. They hated the Romans and the Romans hated them and they were just miserable bedfellows together and they wanted an end to it. So much so there was a whole Jewish movement called the Zealots that were basically terrorists. And they did everything they could to undermine the authority of the Romans and kill and assassinate as many of them as they can and thwart all their plans. So Peter was thinking, okay, he said just in verses 15 and 17, he said, you are the Christ, the Son of God, you're the Messiah. In other words, you're the anointed one that's going to bring us this victory. So he's probably still going off of that divine revelation because in the scriptures, there's two pictures of Messiah. One is a kingly conquering Messiah. The other one's a suffering Messiah. And the suffering Messiah wasn't too well understood. So obviously, this is the Roman occupation. He's the Messiah, two and two together. Obviously, he's here to deliver us from Roman rule, right? So Peter says he rebuked him when Jesus said, hey, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to curse me out and kill me. And Peter said, no, 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 no. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not be to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I mean, what if, what if, what if Jesus called you Satan? That, that, oh man, I mean, that'd be the ultimate put down, right? But we also got to remember that Satan is not a name. Satan is a title. Satan just means the adversary. It means the enemy. He's basically saying, Peter, you're my enemy right now. You're, you're just as bad as the devil himself because you're opposing me. He said, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You savor not the things of God 
but those that be of men. Because he was thinking with a manly mindset, we're under Roman occupation, we want this kingly Messiah to defeat Rome and to have Jesus Christ, the son of David, take his rightful place on the throne of Israel. He's still going to do that, but that's his second coming. His first coming was to be the suffering Messiah, the suffering servant, right? The next time he comes, he's going to be that conquering king. But Peter didn't grasp it, and the majority of the Jews didn't grasp it at that time because they were looking for a kingly Messiah. So on the one hand, Peter gets this divine revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. On the second hand, he gets this thought, possibly from the devil or from his flesh, you know, that's saying, oh, no, Lord, what you're saying is wrong. It's not going to be that way. No, don't say those things. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you savor not the things that are, be of God, but those that be of men. <coughs> so this shows the complexity of the battlefield of our mind. Now let me read to you something from the letter of Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with verse 4. Paul is instructing us and teaching us how to wage war on the battlefield of our mind because that's where the battle starts it starts with a thought it starts with an imagination it starts with an idea right and if we don't conquer it there then it's going to move into our heart and cause a root of bitterness to spring up and then if it doesn't stop there it's going to somehow physically manifest itself on the outside which is going to be way worse than battling this on on the inside so second corinthians chapter 10 Verse 4, it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning they're not of the flesh. They're not of this tangible physical world. For the weapons of our warfare, spiritual warfare, are not carnal, not of the flesh, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. That's talking about things that pop in your mind. You know, that imagination that I thought, Aaron must hate me because he never answers my texts and calls. He must, he's ignoring me because he hates me. Well, that's an imagination. That's an imagination. It come into my mind. It's not fact. I can't prove it. I have no way to prove it unless I go to Aaron and ask him himself from the horse's mouth. So it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Oh, what, you're, what you hear in your mind is true. You're hearing it from the Lord. But if it doesn't line up with scripture, it's not of God. It's a high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. You've got to go back to the knowledge of God to correct, to correct that misled, misguided, bad, evil thought. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Okay, I'm going to take this thought captive because usually what happens when you imagine? You let your imagination run away with you. First of all, you know, it's, oh, Aaron must hate me. And then second of all, oh, I think he might actually be out to kill me. I mean, that's just your imagination running away with you. That's just going pretty, that's pretty extreme, right? But if you don't stop that thought in its tracks, that could possibly be where it ends up because you're not taking that thought captive. So it says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Wait, I just had a thought. Is that of God? Is that of the devil? Or is that of my flesh? What does the Bible say about this thought that I just had? Can I prove this thought? Is there a way that I can validate this thought? If not, then it's an imagination I need to take captive and cast down. 
bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So let me give you some examples. That person gave me a dirty look. Prove it. I mean, I'll tell you, there's been times where, you know, like my sister, my sister always looks mad. She's always got that furrow in her brow. So sometimes, and even Pam's been accused of this because Pam's a thinker too, and she'll just be staring off in his face. And yet, where she, when she's staring off in his face, like right now, it may look as if I'm looking some of you in the eye. But actually, I'm looking just a little bit over your heads. But it may be, it may look to you that I'm looking at you. And if I was doing this, you're like, oh, wow, he's looking at me with a dirty look. No, I'm just lost in my thoughts. I'm thinking, my mind's a million miles away. I'm not even thinking about you. I don't even know you're in the room. So there's been times where I or my sister or Pam or somebody I know been accused of giving somebody the stink eye when that wasn't the case because they're just like staring off thinking about something else and it just appears. So it says, that person gave me a dirty look. Yeah, we'll prove it. Can you prove it? All right. I don't think that person likes me. Well, how do you know? Have you asked them? Can you prove it? I don't think that person likes me. We've all said that. We've all thought that. But that's an imagination that we've got to cast down because we can't prove it. Unless we go to that person and say, hey, you got a beef with me or something, right? Well, they've been saying things about me. Who said? And did they? Well, so-and-so said, but how do you know they heard it from them? What are you to do when you say, they've been saying things about me? What are you to do in that situation? Go to that person. Don't believe the person who told you. Because this may be third, fourth, fifth-hand knowledge. It may not be directly from that person. And even if it was directly or supposedly directly from that person, maybe they took what that person said out of context. Maybe that's not the way they meant it. They've been saying things about me. Well, go to that person and find out if it's true or not. Because other than that, you can't prove it. It's just a he said, she said scenario. Well... I think that person's arrogant. Have you told them? <laughs> Would you say that to their face? You, you could say it easily to somebody else. You can say it easily when that person's not here. But if, they're, if they were standing in front of you, would you say that very thing? Well, that person's arrogant. Maybe you'd be ballsy enough to do it. I don't know. But most, most likely you wouldn't. So I think that person's arrogant. Well, have you told them? Have you told it to their face? So Matthew 18 and Mark 11 ends all of this nonsense. It ends all of this nonsense. So I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. And you know what? I'm pro at some point, I will probably fall into being guilty of this because I'm a human being. I haven't mastered my tongue. James says that nobody can master the tongue. Right? We're all going to slip up. We're all going to talk about somebody behind their back. We're all going to slander. We're all going to gossip at the same time. But if we can train ourselves and get in the habit of saying, stop, we're not going to talk about brother or sister so-and-so when they're not here to answer for themselves or to defend themselves. If we can get a habit of doing that, as soon as that happens, we can put an end to a lot of the internal strife within our little Christian community. Or the second thing, is like, why are you talking to me about this? Sounds like you need to go to that person. But, 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 no, 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 no. I don't want to hear it. Sounds like you got a, a problem with that person. Matthew 18 says you need to go to that person privately and get it. 
and you just keep driving them and pushing them to that person. So every time somebody comes to you and wants to talk about somebody else, especially if they're not present, you always direct them to that person they have the beef with, the problem with. And if we can get in the habit of doing that, Satan will lose virtually all his power. All of his, his, his ways of trying to destroy our little Christian community here. Because the attacks, we're, we're pretty good at fending attacks that's coming from the outside. We're not so good at fending off attacks that are coming from the inside. Because whenever somebody talks about you, you automatically, your feathers get ruffled and your fur stands on end and you want to, you know, well, well, I'll tell them or I'll show them. Or you know what? They think they're this and they're that and they did this and they did that. How can they say this about me? And we just want to perpetuate it because we, we feel offended. We feel like we have to defend ourselves in some way, but you don't. You don't have to defend yourself. What's there to defend? Can a dead person get offended? If we're at a funeral and there's a corpse in the coffin, if I cuss that corpse out and just talk really bad and down and dirty to that corpse, do they care? No. Why should we care? Because haven't we crucified the flesh? Haven't we died in Christ? Isn't the old man dead? If the old man's dead, then why in the heck are we getting offended when somebody talks about us? Why are we getting our feelings hurt when we think somebody gives us a dirty look? It shouldn't bother us. We're dead because we're alive. You can't offend a dead person. Amen. So if we're dead and alive in Christ, we're a new creature. That stuff shouldn't bother us. So I don't know how we're going to do it except for with the help of God and with the help of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's just all pray. As I pray, just agree with me in prayer on this. Lord, we love each other. And we are so happy to be in this close, tight-knit community of believers. None of us here, I believe, doesn't want to purposely hurt or offend anybody. But sometimes we do because we hear this and we hear that. Rumors start flying, slander, gossip starts going around. And we handle it in the wrong way because we're so used to handling that situation, that scenario in our flesh. That just shows us that's an area that needs to be freshly crucified on the cross. We need to kill that aspect of ourselves and be raised anew in Christ. So, Lord, I'm begging you, please, Lord. And I know this is a prayer that you want to answer, that you're willing to answer. Lord, please. As I'm praying, everybody is bowing their heads in agreement with my prayer. Please, Lord, get us in the habit of when somebody starts talking about somebody else that we stop it immediately and say, no, we're not going to talk about brother or sister so-and-so when they're not here to answer for themselves or defend themselves. And we're also, Lord, put it within us that, if it, that we can just say, stop. Why are you talking to me about this? Jesus said, go directly in private to that person. Sounds like your problem is with them, not with me. It's not my business. I don't want to hear about it. And let us get in the habit of saying those two things and get in the habit of following the Matthew 18 and the Mark 11 protocol. That either way, no matter who's said what and who's offended at what, that either way, if it's the, the person who has the offense or you're the one that's offending, that they go to that individual in private and work it out in brotherly love. As Matthew 18 says, that we leave our gift at the altar, reconcile with our brother, then go back and worship. Because, Lord, if we do that, we will solve probably 90 percent 
of the, of the problems that arise internally within our little community. Because I, I even heard somebody say this week, why can't we be a family like we used to be? We're not as close as we used to be. Yeah, because we've let Satan run amok in here way too long. We, we let the gossip train, you know, run past schedule on its tracks way too long. We need to derail that gossip train. And Lord, we have the tools and the ability. You've shown us in your word how to do it. So Lord, help us to train ourselves to do those very things so that we can stop it. And let's show love and respect to one another. For we ask and pray these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.